0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: What we're doing is we've got the author of Shallow Graves, and that's the new Bedford Highway serial killer, and uh, her name's Maureen Boyle. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show.
0: Oh, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Now, this is another one. You know, we, I, I, we've been finding them a lot lately about uh, serial killers that are out there or have been out there, and they've done quite the uh, a, a lot of killings, and it just sort of doesn't get media attention or drops off the wayside, like nobody talks about it. This is one I'd never heard about until I came across actually Wayne on Facebook and it was just kind of accidental in a way. Um, so, so it's strange. Um, what do you think causes that? Like what, what, what is it that gets the attention for so many people in a certain killing and not others?
0: Well, in, in this case, um, it was the time that it happened on uh, 1988. Uh, this is sort of pre-social media pre-everyone's-on-a-computer days, and so that it got a lot of attention regionally in New Bedford, Providence, Boston, and also in, um, in the Hartford, Connecticut area because well, one of the investigators uh, was on the Connecticut State Police. Um, there was some uh, national stories. Uh, CBS did a, a piece on it back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, but because there wasn't the uh, uh, social media uh, that we have today, that's part part of it. Um, and it wasn't New Bedford was not uh, next to a major city, was not in. If this happened in New York City or Washington D.C. or uh, Chicago or even L.A., perhaps it would have been uh, much more attention. And the other thing with this case is by the time investigators realized what was going on, uh, the killings had already stopped. So even when it was a very active investigation, the killer wasn't actively killing that we know of. Uh, what, what happened in this case, as a uh, a frame of reference for anyone who just may be tuning in now, uh, in 1988, 11 women went missing in the uh, in New Bedford, that is a uh, fishing uh, port in southeastern Massachusetts. is about uh, 45 minutes from Cape Cod, 45 minutes from uh, Providence, and uh, on a good day, about an hour and a half from Boston, uh, given the traffic. Yeah. Uh, the women went missing between March and September of 1988. Uh, And their bodies were found between July of 88 and April of 89. However, investigators did not realize that they had this type of a case until roughly October of 1988. And that was when it really became clear that there was a number of uh, women who had drug problems had gone missing in the city. Uh, The women didn't go missing all at once. Uh, they weren't reported missing all at once, so there were no uh, alarms sounded early on that there was uh, this type of a case go- uh, happening. Uh, that was one of the investigative hurdles that they had to overcome, that they just they came to the case late, and by the time they came to the case, it was over, at least in terms of the, the act of killing. So, so uh,
1: I was going to say, so how were they killed in general?
0: In um, they know that two of the women were strangled, uh, and they believe all the women were strangled. Uh, when the women were found, uh, they're all uh, they had been out there for quite some time, so their were skeletal remains, so it was very difficult to uh, determine cause of death or and, and some other issues, um, but. Given the evidence that was found on two of the women, they believe that they, uh, those two were strangled, and they believe that all of them, uh, they suspect all of the women uh, were strangled. Um, now, 11 women went missing. Only nine uh, bodies have been found, and two of the women remain missing. So they're, they're out there someplace. Um, most likely, either along one of the highways, and um, they haven't been found, or they're uh, they were dumped someplace else. And now, if
1: I understand that right, too, the, the, the two um, women that were not found uh, both had policemen as relatives.
0: Uh, yes, they did. Uh, one of the women, Marilyn Cardoza Roberts, uh, she was uh, the daughter of a retired New Bedford police officer and Christina Montero. Her mother was engaged to a uh, Dartmouth uh, Massachusetts police officer Dartmouth is a uh, a town right next to New Bedford. So they yeah yeah so they have not not been found been found yet. Uh, most of the women were found by um, a search dog uh, out of Connecticut. Uh, a guy named Andy Redman, who's now on the uh, west coast, uh, he is the pre- absolutely premier uh, search. Uh, And rescue trainer. And at that time, he was working for the Connecticut State Police and he had what was known as a cadaver dog. It was a dog that was uh, trained to find the dead. And they brought his, he came in in November uh, with his dog and he found a number of the women, including the first woman to have been identified, and she was identified through a uh, just by luck through a fingerprint. Oh.
1: Do you know, um, so those two women not found, how do yes. they determine that it belonged to the Ned New Bedford Highway Killer?
0: Uh, you know, obviously nothing is absolutely certain. However, based on their victimology, they are uh, they're both uh, ad- addicted to drugs. They both had, uh, you know, very, very serious drug problems. Uh, and they disappeared in that time fe- time period. so that that's why they believe that they, they are part of that cluster.
1: is there is there any reason that they would there would be two that would be particularly not found? Like I find that interesting that um, because obviously whoever was doing the killings, um, dumping them by the interstate there, they were not scared of the bodies being found.
0: Well, you know, what's interesting is that the – how the bodies were found. They were dumped uh, right um, – they were on the – you know, off the highway, but they were in the brush so that if you were driving by, you would not have seen the women. You would have to stop and walk into the the brush a little bit. Uh, The first woman who was found, she was found by a woman who was uh, driving north on uh, Route 140, that's a secondary highway, in here in Massachusetts, and she was going driving driving north, and she had to um, use a bathroom. So she pulled over to the side of the road and you know trotted off into the brush. And lo and behold, that's how she fu- uh, how the first body was found. Um, the second body was found in a really in a similar manner. Two men on motorcycles were on Route One uh, One Ninety Five, which is the roadway that. Goes across from uh, from Providence, Rhode Island, uh, to Cape Cod, uh, linking uh, to Cape Cod. And these two men pulled over because they needed to use the facilities and trotted into the brush. And lo and behold, they found the second bot, uh the second remains. So that's how the uh, at least two of the women uh, were found. An- another woman was found by two boys playing. Or looking for, actually looking for a lost dog in the woods, um, and they can't stumbled upon or uh, off of another roadway, so they weren't easily found, but they weren't really all that hidden. It is pure luck that they were found because someone stopped. Right. There was, right. Uh, there was a, a couple, Two of the women were found uh, by a state highway cleanup crew.
1: Huh? Yeah. Now, now, were these? What were the? What was the typical thing done? Were these women attacked just to be killed, or were they raped as well? Were they tortured? Like, what was? What was kind of the MO of, of this killer?
0: Um, you see, that's that's the a million dollar question. Uh, because they were found uh, weeks, and in most cases, months after they were uh, killed it was really uh, difficult to determine uh, what happened. Um, Were they sexually assaulted? Uh, There might be indications in one of the cases that uh, a woman may have been, uh, but that's not positive. Uh, They weren't able to positively determine that uh, because of the condition of the bodies, that they were skeletal remains. And so a lot of the forensic evidence Uh, would have been washed away or uh, through time, rains, heat, animals, uh, uh, just the elements uh, destroyed some some of the evidence that they may have wanted.
1: Right, right. So, Uh, so
0: I mean, there there wasn't anything that would, um, you asked about torture, there wasn't anything that would indicate something like that.
1: Right. So we don't really know what the deal was, like what? Other than, of course, they showed up dead, but we don't know if there yep. was more to it. Was there something similar about the age, ages, or the looks, or the style of the person? Yep.
0: The, yeah, uh, That's a very good question. Uh, all the women were were relatively petite, which is not unusual if someone is in the throes of a a drug addiction, because uh, most addicts are very, very thin. But um, they were relatively petite, thin. Uh, all but one were white, um, and so so they had, you know, so, uh, one woman was blonde, but they, you know, they, they from a distance perhaps someone could say yes, they they look similar.
1: Huh. so when this this all um, went down, um, it seemed like when we talked to Wayne, a lot of the. Um, issues he had were the police uh, were maybe not as interested or as invested in the problem in the killings because of the drug drug addiction and or prostitution by some of these ladies. Um, d- did you find that to be true?
0: Um, no, I did not. Okay. Um, you know, uh, you know. Obviously, there there will be some you know nasty people out there. Would, would, you know, try to blame the victim. You know, that there's, you will always find that. But of the investigators that were working the case, I can tell you that they really worked hard. And, uh, you know, I was a, a young reporter when this happened. I was covering it originally for the Standard Times in New Bedford. Um, and I spent a number of years of my life covering this, uh, covering this case. And I, I, I thought I knew a lot about the case. But then when I was doing additional research for the book um, and found out even more about what investigators did that the public wasn't even aware of, um, they did look in every little corner um, and they really did want to solve the case. Um, The investigators really developed an affinity to all of the families. They really wanted to solve it for the families. Um New Bedford is a a fairly small city, and just about everyone knows everyone, <laughs> or you know there's that, that third degree of separation in the city. Uh, so even today, there's an awful lot of people in that area who knew the victims, uh, knew someone in their family, um, knew someone who knew them and and that's the same with the the investigators. a number of the investigators uh, knew. Different uh, members of some of the some of the families or their relatives, but they really did want to solve the case, and they did work very very hard. Because I, I recall seeing uh, a few of the investigators, you know, the, early in the morning they were out there uh, looking for witnesses or in court looking for people who may have known some of the uh, the victims, and then they were back there at night uh, talking to anyone who is on the streets who may or may not have had any information. Uh, They looked at such a wide range of suspects, the suspects that range from fishermen and truck drivers and uh, doctors and lawyers and real estate agents and businessmen and uh, manual laborers and drug dealers and people who ran uh, video production businesses and you name it, it ran the gamut. Uh, they interviewed people who picked up girls on the street. They interviewed people who got help for girls on the street. Um, they interviewed police officers, uh, past and present. Uh, I mean, they did not eliminate anyone as a suspect. They looked at sex offenders. um, they looked at who was out on the street who was a newly released sex offender. They looked at, uh, They wound up making a number of arrests, by the way, um, of individuals who had attacked women who were working the streets. There was at least three additional arrests of, um, of men who had either sexually assaulted or beaten women uh, quite severely um, during that period of time. And part of that came through the investigation where they really made a massive push to try to solve this.
1: So so what was the disconnect then? Why do you think it wasn't solved? Like with so many, you set up to 11, and really in, it looks like just over a year period of time. Um, even if they started it late, um, they, they just couldn't find anybody?
0: Yeah, they, they couldn't develop a timeline. Uh, And that was a real problem. There was a couple of the the women where they hadn't a halfway decent timeline. Uh, One woman who, you know, left her boyfriend's house. She had an argument with him. And she left and then disappeared. Uh, Another woman, but she wasn't reported missing right away. Uh, He went looking for her. And then a week or so, two weeks later, he notified her asked her mother if she was if she heard from her and then eventually her mother about a month or so after that reported her missing um, another uh, woman she was reported pretty quickly within uh, within two days uh, she left walking home and uh, from a bar and just seemed to have vanished and they were able to uh, develop a timeline of her walking up to a certain point and then That was it. And no one seemed to see what happened to her after that. A third woman was at a bar in downtown New Bedford, um, and she had been at a friend's house and then was at a bar, and people put her there, and then no one knew what, no one came forward to say what happened after that point. So there's, um, that's where the, and she was reported uh, missing fairly quickly. But there was no one um, they would get to a certain point and there was no one that could say, yes, I saw this person get in the car or I saw this person with so-and-so. There was none of that.
1: So, so they kind of lived pretty transient life, um, no, nothing really structured.
0: Well, it, it, some of the women uh, did, but not not all of them. Uh, what what it what, what I mean, it, it wasn't a, a, a situation where you would have, you know, someone, uh, you know someone went to work at uh, eight o'clock and they're always home at four o'clock, and they didn't show up at four. They left work, you know, they left work at three forty-five. They walked just down the street, stopped at a store, and, t- and the store clerk saw the person get into a, a vehicle, and they could name the vehicle. The, the, there isn't anything like that, right? Right. You know, and, and in some of the cases, you know, the women uh, disappeared disappeared at night, um, either you know walking or uh, at a at a club, or that, that sort of thing. And they weren't reported missing immediately. And th- when they were reported missing, there really wasn't an alarm out there that they were in danger. There was not an indication early on, uh, that there was something desperately wrong.
1: Hmm. Now, so now this is unfortunately
0: big... that was that was yeah. in the. In 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 one case, one one woman, her her husband reported her missing very, very quickly. He went looking all over the place for her. So he was very, very concerned, and he reported her missing uh, very, very quickly. Another woman, her boyfriend reported her missing very, very, very quickly. Um, But in in some of the cases, uh, the women went missing, and everyone thought that they were someplace else. You know, it was a situation
1: like that. Yeah, yeah, and you're not going to be thinking that, you know, they've been killed or attacked. You're just, you know, they're just not there. Yeah. Um, uh, now, a very big question. Do you think um, that people, the victims, are treated differently because of their lifestyle or perhaps something that they do?
0: Um. It, it, it depends on, on, on where you were, where you're sitting. Uh, from where I was uh, viewing it from uh, as a reporter and at that time as a police reporter and seeing what police officers, at least the police officers that were investigating the case were doing. Uh, they were not viewing the victims differently however they had to investigate the case differently because they had different types of witnesses if you you understand what i mean they, yeah. they were yeah. the witnesses some of the witnesses some of their best witnesses were other drug addicts and and that that posed a problem because some of the addicts that they were interviewing did not have uh, they had good memories but not good timelines. Uh, trying to pin pin down a specific date was very difficult. You know, when was the last time you saw so-and-so? Um, well, I it was the day I went to, you know, I had to meet with my parole officer, okay, or probation officer. So then they would go to court to figure out what the date was, of, of, you know, that the person was um, met with a probation officer. It, and, and they had to go back to witnesses and talk to them about events that happened months and months earlier. And even if you did not have a drug problem, uh, it's very difficult for anyone to remember what they did on a specific day months earlier unless there's a reason for it. You know, if, uh, if you were... Um, If it was your birthday, you would remember that you saw someone on that date because you remember the day. Um, But if it's just an average day, uh, people might not remember. And and if you don't have a full-time job, which many of the addicts do not have, um, sometimes it's difficult for them to remember if it was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, what day of the week it was. So that posed another pro- that posed another problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. I, I, that happens to me now. I mean, yeah,
0: <laughs> I just, yes, it happens to me also. It's like, okay, what day is it? Oh, yes. yeah.
1: and sometimes you have to really think and try to figure out what happened that day, and and I understand that, and uh, it's it's really too bad. Now, do you think now this serial killer went for? A year or so it looks like w- why do you think he left New Bedford all of a sudden like uh, you know let's say went through uh, 11 bodies and killings and then just is gone is that the same old story of perhaps they got arrested or something else happened
0: and, 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 and that is oh that is very very intriguing why he stopped um, and in I think the only way we're going to know is once he's caught or we know who it was. Uh, the thinking is that, one, he's dead. He died. Mm-hmm. Two, he went to jail. Uh, three, he moved on someplace else. Uh, or four, for whatever reason, he just stopped. Um, and sometimes serial killers do stop for a period of time even though we people always like to think that they continue forever uh that doesn't always happen sometimes they do stop for uh, you know several years so that that could have happened we just don't know would you do you
1: think that um did you come across any other murders or series of murders in other towns or other areas close by that uh, had the same t- same kind of killing and M O, and that possibly it could, that he could have just moved.
0: Well, th- there had been some killings in Connecticut on uh, Route Eight uh, a few years prior to that, and I know that they, the police looked at at that. They looked at other killings throughout the country um, during this period of time. They did uh, one investigator. Who uh flew out to um, to talk to the investigators in the Green River killings case uh to see okay what lessons were learned in that case and what could they um they do differently in the new Bedford case they They did look you know to see okay, could it have been the same killer uh, but they they didn't believe that obviously right. But even in Green River, the it appears the killer there had stopped uh, for a period of time that anyway, that we know of, um, before, and then he, he was caught years later.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I don't think we really know all the ins and outs. But uh, this this um, this killer now uh, at the time, of course, it's 1989, 80 and 88. 88. Yeah, yeah. 1988. Okay, so DNA was not really a a, a thing. Um, no. Now, did were they did they save kits from from the bodies or clothes or any sort of material from any of the um, victims that they had, and could they get DNA from it now, possibly?
0: Yeah, they, they did uh, preserve the evidence, and over the period of years, um, they did uh, do seri- uh, series of tests as uh, forensic science, uh, there's been advances in forensic science. Um, And obviously, because it's considered a quote-unquote open case, they're not saying what they have and what they've tested. Um, However, they they have done a number of tests, uh, both in private labs, the FBI, and the uh, Massachusetts State Police Lab. Um, And everything is still... Just there. Uh, I suspect some of the DNA was um, not in the best of shape uh, when they collected it, if they had any uh, DNA samples. Uh, But, you know, in the future, perhaps they might be able to um, find something that's usable if they don't already have something usable. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Back in uh, 88, of course, DNA was really just starting to be used in the criminal justice system, uh, both in the court and in, uh, law enforcement. And back then they, they needed very large samples of DNA for testing. And some of the, the samples wound up, wound up being uh, destroyed in testing. Uh, so they didn't, they, any samples that they had at that time, um were, would have been relatively small. So they would have been very, very careful in what they did, what they used, what they tested, what they didn't test. But they do have an awful lot of things preserved already.
1: Oh, maybe it's possible then. Um, Now, were there any – there were suspects, you said. So were there any that there were – Pretty good suspects, as in you think that that's a good possibility, and they just didn't have the evidence or something happened. Did, were any of the suspects really um, that you've looked at in your investigation? Did, was there any that still kind of think, well, that that might be the guy?
0: Well, there were there were so many suspects. There really were. Uh, they had they looked at one group of suspects. Uh, these were sex offenders who were. Locked up in what is called the Center for the Sexually Dangerous here in uh, Massachusetts, and that uh, the sex offenders are civilly committed for a day to life once they finish their their prison terms, or they can be also serve the prison terms at the at the center. And at that time in 1988, the center was furloughing some of the. the offenders; they were releasing them on furloughs anywhere from a few hours a day to number of days uh, unsupervised during the week. Uh, in one case, it was one sex offender who left the center on a set Sunday night and didn't return until um, the uh, Friday night, so he would be out all week long. Um, and the thinking at that point was these offenders are going to uh, need to be reintegrated into the community, and they have to learn how to live in the community and not reoffend and that sort of thing. Uh, but the bottom line was that the worst of the worst offenders uh, were out there on the streets during that period of time. so some of those offenders could be um, could be the killer. Uh, they did have two very strong suspects. Uh, One individual who was an attorney was indicted in one of the killings. I know the district attorney at that time really liked him for the case. Uh, Unfortunately, there was no evidence to convict him so that when the district attorney who was in, in charge during the bulk of the investigation, he lost the election. The new district attorney came in hired a special prosecutor to to handle that case, he looked at the evidence and found that there was absolutely no evidence to bring the case to trial. So they dismissed the the indictment. Now, right around that time when they dismissed the indictment, a um, second suspect uh, who was awaiting trial for sexually assaulting and strangling um, some of the girls on the streets, he um, he committed suicide shortly after they announced that they were going to be dropping the charges against the first suspect against the attorney. So um, that either one of those were uh, considered good suspects, but again, no evidence to tie them to murder, where they could be tried for murder. Uh, they and they had a list of se- sex offenders who could have been. Uh, could have been the killer,
1: yeah.
0: and it could be a wild card out there that we just don't know.
1: Right, right. It could be something uh, transient.
0: Um,
1: yeah. Now, what what brought you to write this book? How did you get involved in this, and what was Im- important in this case that made you write a book?
0: Uh, well, I covered the case back then when I was a reporter at the Standard Times, and I always planned wanted to write book on the case, but I was waiting for an ending. I was waiting for the killer to be caught. So I waited and waited and waited and waited. And now it's, you know, 30 years later and the killer still hasn't been caught. And I discovered that there are so many people that don't even remember the case or they misremember what happened. And I thought it was very, very important to, especially on this 30th anniversary, to... Uh, renew interest in the case so that, uh, perhaps someone who was, uh, may have known something back then and they were afraid to come forward. Uh, this would give them an opportunity now that their lives have changed, uh, to come forward, feel comfortable coming forward and, uh, providing information. And the other thing is, I just did not want these women forgotten. Um, They deserve justice, and so do their families. Their their families have waited 30 years for an answer. And if if the killer is dead, uh, I think we all deserve an answer and need to know who it was. And if we, you know, he can't be tried, there can't be quote unquote justice. uh, At least we have an answer. If he's not, we need to know who he is and bring them to justice.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. What, what was the most, like when you actually went and started writing the book, what is it that you learned that was the most surprising about the case? What what kind of shocked you that you didn't realize?
0: What, what was interesting, now this was a very public uh, type of investigation. The district attorney at the time uh, had regular press conferences. There was a quote-unquote, secret grand jury, where witnesses, witnesses were coming in, testifying behind closed doors um, to a grand jury. And the, the testimony was secret. However, the media was outside the courthouse. The way the courthouse was structured, you could see who was going in, who was coming out. Uh, reporters would descend on the witnesses as they're walking down the steps, uh, and the people were basically outed as to who was uh, appearing before the grand jury, and the grand jurors were saying what they said inside the inside the grand jury room. Uh, but what I was able to find out, what I thought was going on in the grand jury, <coughs> I was able I was, uh, able to obtain certain documents. <coughs> excuse me, that showed that what we thought was going on, while we thought that the grand jury and the district attorney was focusing in and honing in on this one suspect, um, the testimony in the grand jury and the evidence that they were getting was just much broader and that they really were looking at so many more people that the public was not aware of. Um, and the, 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 just the breadth of the investigation really surprised me at how deep it went and how many how many people were working on it and how many suspects they looked at and how many witnesses they uh, they talked with. I, I
1: wonder what actual aspect or what thing that um, we would need to find um, that would um, solve the crime. Um, do you think someone knows something and just is keeping quiet?
0: Yes, I do. I do. I, I think that someone knows uh, knows something very concrete. You know, not that. Oh, I think it was this person, or I heard it was that person, or I always suspected it was this person. Um, you know, because we can all suspect things like that. I mean, during the investigation, a number of people were coming forward saying that you know it was their ex-boyfriend who did it or their ex-husband who did it, and that with no evidence, real evidence, to back it up. But I think that someone does have really concrete information, such as someone saying, I was there when this happened, or I did this. Um, that's the uh, that's what's needed. And that person has got to come forward. Now... Um- so, what do you
1: hope to get from the book? Is that sort of why you wrote it? You're hoping that this yes. would help resolve.
0: Yes, it is. That's exactly uh, why I wrote it. That this would uh, focus more attention on the case, more attention on the, on the victims, and also uh, let people know that uh, we, as a as a community and as as a whole, have got to address issues of. Um, Drug addiction uh, head on back in 1988, no one was talking about heroin addiction. Uh, families didn't know where to go. They didn't know where to turn to. There was very few uh, treatment programs available specifically for women at the time, and the slots available for women there was long, long waiting lists for them. Uh, you know, today everyone's talking about the you know opioid. Uh, epidemic. This has been going on a very long time. And if if I really believe that if people had not stigmatized addiction back then, we probably would not be in the position and the, facing the problems uh, that we have today with drug addiction, you know, heroin addiction.
1: Right. But, you know it's interesting. Why? Why do you think people do that? Why do we turn away from something like that? Is it, like you know, uh, sexual um, promiscuity. You know, uh, um, addiction to to drugs. Um, there's all these things that we do as a society that just, you know we try to not talk about it, and therefore it only gets worse. Yes,
0: yeah, and and especially in, in your, you're right. Uh, in, Back then, uh, families were very embarrassed. Uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, when uh, a family member was ad- addicted to drugs, uh, no one really talked about it. You know, people would whisper about, it, oh, you know, someone's a kid is is it, it has problems with drugs, without flat out saying they're addicted to heroin and they need help. Um, and and families were afraid to admit it, also, and ashamed, and they didn't know what to do. It was just not; they didn't. They they had no tools. Uh, today, there they, there are so many more tools for families, and there's support groups throughout the country for for families. Uh, there's so many more programs that are available, um, other types of treatments. Whether it's methadone or uh, Suboxone, or um, well, and there's long-term uh, treatment programs that were very, very expensive. I mean, they're still expensive today, but they're even, they were even more expensive back then. And if someone didn't have insurance, well, forget, right. it. forget it. Forget trying to get into anything. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. My sister, when she was sixteen. Got pregnant back in the seventies, and they they actually shipped her away.
0: Yep, that's what they did then. And today, that it. yeah, it's there, there there would not be yeah, there would not be that that shame.
1: Yeah, uh, it just I look back and I think wow, how bizarre! They actually shipped her away to have her baby somewhere else, and we didn't even know. I was young, of course. I was I yeah. didn't know, but um, it's strange because you would never do that now.
0: Yeah and 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 they probably forced her to put the child up for adoption.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because it was so uh I guess embarrassing and uh,
0: yeah.
1: And it's kind of strange and that sort of doesn't solve the problem, you know.
0: No. She didn't get pregnant alone. Uh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it didn't stop her.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, it's terrible. Um so now um there's a website out there too, isn't there, about the new Bedford Highway Killer.
0: Uh, Yes, I've got, uh, there's a website for the book, uh, ShallowGravesTheBook.com. I also have uh, several uh, Facebook pages. Uh, One of them is, and I always forget the names, you know. (laughs) Uh, One of them is just Shallow Graves. Um, the other one is Shallow Graves: colon, The Hunt for the Nib for the Highway Serial Killer, and then there is, I also have a uh, Facebook author's page uh, that people can reach me at, and people can also reach me on Twitter, uh, Maureen E Boyle One B O Y L E, the number one. Uh, people can message me or just reach out to me through Twitter or through Facebook
1: yeah that's great or, or
0: or or through the uh uh shallow graves book dot com
1: oh, yeah of course now the um what do you what do you do, do you think it's um since the invention of court tv and all that i sort of asked this do you think it's helpful to have all of the trials televised like it is
0: um th- that that is a very good question it's um there's pluses and minuses uh the pluses the plus to it is that the uh, average person who doesn't get a chance to go to court and watch trials uh can see the justice system in action uh the minus to it is that in some cases people may play to the court uh to the to the camera like the o j simpson case right. uh, Or witnesses may be nervous about testifying because they would be on TV. So there's there's pluses and minuses to it. But uh, having access to the information that is um, in the justice system, I I think that is very important for the average person uh, to, to understand how things work. Right.
1: Yeah, it's good. Um, I just sometimes worry, and sometimes we've had guests that have been through cases that have become very public, and and the public takes an attitude towards someone or some someone involved in the case without knowing all the answers or the the evidence, and so sometimes I wonder if that taints the whole process.
0: That is that. Uh, I, I can see that, where people uh, only are only seeing a sliver of what is going on, because even in court, you don't get the whole story. It is just the evidence that's allowed in court. Sometimes there's other information that uh, tells the story a little bit more fully, uh, but it's not allowed as evidence.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um So, now, are there any leads or anything else that people need to know about this particular case? Is there anything that um, we need to get out there?
0: Um, Well, if anyone knows someone who is in the New Bedford area during that period of time, that would have been through uh, March to uh, September 1988, uh, and they suspect or they have some evidence that this person might be the killer or may know who the killer is, um, they should uh, contact authorities or send me a message and we'll pass it on. Um, Especially if the person is moved out of state. Now, and also, if anyone was with the person that they believe is the killer um, and they do have evidence, um, we'd love to hear from them. Did they come up with a
1: profile back then?
0: It was it was a fairly loose profile, and uh, as you know, the uh, the profiles are not um, exact. Right. They, they help the uh, investigators interview people and, and and look for some general traits, but it's uh, it, it's not something a type of profile where. It, it is so stringent that you could say, "Oh yes, this is who it is because he's, you know, about five ten, you know, uh, brown hair, and um, you know th- that type of thing." It's it, it isn't that type of a profile that they have.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, what do you got planned next? Like, what what goes on for Marine after this new Bedford uh killer gets caught?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and and I'm glad you said said it that way, because um, I believe, I firmly believe he will be caught. I refuse to believe that anyone can get away with these many murders. It just is not allowed. Um, I'm working on a couple of other projects uh, right now, and we'll see how they uh, how they come along.
1: Yeah. Um, did you get any influences or meet anybody that sort of um, – you've sort of uh, taken notice of uh, in working on this case or any other writers or books or anything?
0: Um, Oh, uh, what do you mean? Other people that I've...
1: Yeah, anybody. Who influences Maureen?
0: Who influences my writing? Yeah. Uh, A wide range of of writers. (laughs) Uh, I read both fiction and nonfiction, in um, my right, my reading tastes run the gamut of uh, you know any Stephen King uh, to you know really trashy <laughs> trashy books um, to you know it, it is anything that catches my fancy is, is what I read. Uh, it's it's not one one particular author uh, or one particular type of book. Uh, I think that it's important for all of us to. You know, keep our mind open to all different uh, styles of writing, all different types of people, all different uh, voices, if, if uh, you will. Yeah. I, 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 I read some very deeper types of books, and then I read some stuff that's just fun. I read long, book, long novels and short stories. Yeah, it's all good. It is. It is. Uh, one of the authors that I just uh, recently have been reading a lot of is uh, Don Winslow. Uh, his books are absolutely wonderful. Uh, the Cartel and uh, is is one of them. They're just wonderful, wonderful books. Oh,
1: I have to look for it. Interesting. Yeah, well. and it, it,
0: it's it's a, it's a fast read. It's a fun read, and then there's. Some other, what I call fun read, is uh, Hank Phillippe Ryan's books. uh, They're fiction on a television reporter who seems to always find these murders. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, And her books are fun.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk about the book, talk about the New Bedford Highway Killer. Our guest has been uh, Maureen Boyle, and we've been talking about the New Bedford Highway Killer and her book, Shallow Graves, um, the New Bedford Highway Serial Killers. Maureen, thank you for being with us today.
0: Oh, and thank you for having me on. And um, I have to thank your listeners for listening, and hopefully, someone has the answer.